Listening to PetLifeRadio.com. You've had a long day at work, and you can't wait to just get home, take off your shoes, plop yourself down in your favorite chair, and relax. Ah. You walk up to your tranquil residential home and your neatly manicured lawn in your quiet suburban neighborhood, put the key in the lock, open the door, and. Yes, the pets have gone wild! What were you thinking? Welcome to the show about everything you always wanted to know about exotic pets. Where to get them, what to feed them, and how to care for them. You'll even find out why some people live with a monkey. Now, here's your host, exotic pet expert and author, Bob Tart. Hey, Bob, what were you thinking? Hi, I'm Bob Tart, author of the books Enslaved by Ducks, Fall Weather, and Kitty Cornered, and a brand new book coming in 2016 called Featherbrained. Book character Bill Holm and I recently gave a presentation at the Mid-Michigan Word Gatherers Writing Workshop in Ionia, Michigan, and our subject was tips on memoir writing. And I was thinking that it might be a good thing to share on Pet Life Radio for folks who are working on memoirs about their pets and are looking towards possibly getting it published by a commercial publisher. So I'm going to present some excerpts from our presentation. Oh, okay. Thanks, Karen, so much for inviting us, and thanks to the Mid-Michigan Word Gatherers Writing Group also, and also thank you to Ionia County Community Mental Health for providing the very appropriate venue. Oh, yeah. Um, (laughs) So... We may stay. Here's my books. My first book was Enslaved by Ducks, and uh, that came out originally in hardcover, and there's been two paperback editions. My second book was Follow Weather, Trapped Forever Only in a Hardcover Edition. And then uh, my third book was Kitty Cornered, Trapped Forever in a Paperback Edition, although for mysterious reasons, the Mystery Guild Book Club published a hardcover version available to members. It's not a mystery. mystery. It's not a mystery. And everyone's favorite book of mine, Der Land Neurotiker, (laughs) which is the German version of Enslaved by Ducks. And I think the translation is rather loose because M21 is referred to as the Autobahn throughout. (laughs) I'm not sure what that's all about. So anyway, my most recent book came out in 2012, was Kitty Cornered. And Kitty Cornered was about the not-too-distant past when my wife Linda and I had six cats living with us in our small house. And it's about the chaos that ensued because we also have uh, parrots and other pet birds. And also appearing prominently in Kitty Cornered and in all of my books is Mr. Book character Bill Holm. Yes. And the success or failure of each book, I think, is attributable to uh, how Bill Holm appears in the book. Oh, absolutely. I'm the key to the entire plot and humor. And in uh, Featherbrained, which is coming out in spring, Bill takes up more space than in any of the other books. In fact, probably more than all the other books combined. It reflects my weight gain, I think. Yes, it does. (laughs) Bill is a professional writer, and uh, Bill lives in Holland, Michigan, so he's going to help me with the presentation. And over there is Mrs. Bill Holm, Marsha Davis, and Marsha Davis is also a professional writer living in Holland. I see two more professional writers, Bill's 
brother Dick and Bill's wife Deb. So thank you, Dick's everybody. Wife, Deb. I don't have Dick's two wife lives. Deb. Yeah, I didn't want to spill that. I'm sorry. That was, <laughs> <laughs> hope you don't get in trouble now. No. So anyway, uh, shortly after Kitty Cornered came out, a friend of mine at work named Erica told me Erica has three indoor cats and she's feeding four outdoor cats. And her family loves cats. And she told me that her son was reading Kitty Cornered, and her son said, Mom, how come our cats don't do interesting things like Bob's cats? <laughs> and I was kind of shocked because just about every day at work, Erica has very good stories to tell me about her cats and about how she took them in. And in fact, I was very jealous of her stories when I was writing Kitty Cornered because I didn't really think I had good enough stories or enough stories even to put in a book. And so I think really it's just all about how you tell the stories. And so I think I sort of duped her son into thinking the stories were better than they were just because of the method I used to tell them. So I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about tips on making your memoir memorable to agents and publishers if you are interested in getting your book published. And also, Bill is going to talk about a little bit about how to become a book character in someone else's book. <laughs> so at least uh, increase your odds of appearing in someone else's memoir. Yeah. Well, the key is humiliation. But y yes. Being willing to be humiliated. Yes. But I want to start out, before I get into the tips, talking about writing is that really the main thing with writing is just to write. You know, it's nice to be published. It's nice to self-publish however you want to do it. But the main thing really, you know, the important thing is just writing whatever you're writing. If you're writing a short story, or you're writing a novella, you're writing a novel, you're writing a memoir, just write it and be happy. Or if you're not happy, be unhappy with it and then figure out what you did or didn't do right and then move on to the next thing. And, you know, that's really what it's all about. So then if you want, you know, self-publish it, if that's the route you want to go, and that's a wonderful thing. And I have a very good friend, uh, a very good email friend, who did have uh, quite a bit of success with a commercially published book, but she decided to self-publish, and she has far outsold her books from the commercial publisher and done very well for herself. So it really is a, a good route to go. So if you go that way, be happy with that, which you should. And also, if you decide to try and get your book published through a commercial publisher, bear in mind that it's very nice, but you know there are also some shortcomings. And one of the major shortcomings is that you lose control of your book. One small example I'll give you is that, I think a couple of weeks ago, Karen, you published in Facebook a list of synonyms, or at least a list of verbs to use in dialogue. Remember that? Mm -hmm. What would be like, um, you could whisper something, you could shout something, you could intimate something, all kinds of things, right? Yep. Well, for one of my books, my editor crossed out all of those verbs for dialogue, and I was only allowed to use the word said. Occasionally, if I was very, very good, Linda, my wife Linda, instead of saying something, was allowed to tell me something. But sometimes <laughs> Linda told me would get crossed out and said would appear. And I think you told me where you thought that came from, right? Well, I, thought, well, I don't know if I knew it, but I think your editor said it. No, but it was that's what Elmore Leonard's right. method is, right? right? Is that right? Mm -hmm. yep. 
and sometimes nothing. It's just dialogue. Dialogue. But you know, I'm not writing a mystery. I'm not writing an action book. I write non-action books. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you know, there, there are plenty of plenty of benefits. One of the most important things, if you want to write a book that appeals to agents, which is a lot of times where you want to start, you have to get through that door, and then publishers. The thing that I was really hammered with all the time is that you need a real <coughs> story arc for a memoir. And what I'm talking about with memoirs, I think, also applies maybe to fiction sometimes, and applies to a lot of other different kinds of books. I was told, in fact, in the books that I've had published, that really the story arc was rather weak in them, because not a lot earth-shaking. And nothing happened. Nothing happened in my book. Um, what, when I was writing Kitty Cornered, my editor asked me if I couldn't put in some more conflict with my wife, Linda. <laughs> So that there was a stronger story arc. And uh, I remember sitting down with Linda to dinner, and I said, you know, got to get a better, stronger narrative arc in our lives somehow. <laughs> she said, no problem. Yeah. But that's what publishers are looking for. They want a very strong beginning, middle, and ending to a memoir. And so they, they really want to see a story. They really want to see something happen rather than just incidents. And bearing that in mind, what you when you're crafting what's going to go in your memoir, one thing that I always think about is that what I leave out is just as important as what I put in because it's too easy to try and include everything. It's too easy to try and put your whole life into your memoir. And there's lots of good reasons for not doing that. Um, uh, well, yeah, it would be this long, yes. this yeah. thick. You'd write way too much. And uh, also, I always figured I wanted to save something for the next book. So that's how you know I wrote two books about our pet birds. And because I didn't try and put everything in there, <clears throat> then I wrote a book about our pet cats. I did have some things about birding in the other books, but um, not as much as I wanted to. So I still had enough left over to write another book about birding. I'm pretty much shot now, though. I well, the, the next one's going to be entirely about me. Yes, right? that's, that's right. That's right, because the birding book is almost entirely about you. We'll be right back with more of What Were You Thinking after these words from our sponsors. What Were You Thinking? We'll be right back after Bob gets the ducks out of his living room. Don't go away. People say less is more. At Red Barn, we think less is better. It's what you won't find that sets our natural premium pet food apart. No byproducts, no corn or soy, no fillers. Just the natural ingredients your pets need to live the healthy life they deserve. Look at the label. We want you to. Red Barn Naturals Pet Food. Simply the best. Find it in your local pet specialty store. Try our chicken rolled food as a meal or shred it as a topper. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, 
front paw sleeves and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Your pets will stay warm for the winter and be runway ready. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Amazing Pet Expos is coming to a city near you. Admission is always free and your pet is welcome. Shopping, adoptions, free nail trims, discounted shots and microchipping, agility, a pet costume contest, and much more. Plus, meet the guys from Animal Planet's hit TV series Tank and Pit Boss online at AmazingPetExpos.com. Bring your pets to the Pet Expo! Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Pet okay, ducks are in the pond, rabbits in his hutch, and monkeys. Ow! In my car! Oh, okay, well, I go check my insurance policy. We'll turn you back over to Bob. Hi, we're back with What Were You Thinking? And you're listening to a special show with Bob Tart and Bill Holm doing a presentation on memoir writing. And we hope that this will help anybody who wants to write a pet memoir and especially who wants to write it so that agents and publishers will be interested in it. A good way to try and weed your material down is either to try and hone in on what you say by time frame. I mean, you can always just cover a particular part of your life or also by theme. And um, if you pick a theme, it's a good idea to really stick to that and to not try and put too much else in. A friend of mine is writing a book about life on a farm with her animals, and she emailed me recently and she said, you know, it was really important to her the time she spent in the service, and she'd like to include a chapter about uh, the time in the military. And I said, well, does that have anything to do with the animals? And she said, well, not really. And so it really, I think, would confuse somebody if that is in there. So I suggested to her maybe she could just kind of put chunks of that at different places in her book. Maybe, you know, talk about the family donkey and then say, by the way, that donkey reminds me of this drill sergeant, you know, I, I used to have, or something, something like that, you know, and in that way, go back to it. And so you just want to, you know, make sure that you keep focused there. Also, something that people tend to do sometimes is as things keep happening to them, they want to scoop that up and keep putting that into the book too so that it never ends because their life keeps going on and things keep happening to them and oh I got a new ending for the book. I had a friend named Chris Chester who wrote a very good book about a pet sparrow. It's called Providence of a Sparrow. The book was out in paperback. It was a very uplifting, happy book but then the sparrow died. The book came out hardcover first and then when the book came out in paperback he appended a chapter on the end just because it happened and he thought it should be in there about the sparrow dying and it was pretty grim and I thought it just kind of wrecked the book. Anybody working on a memoir? I have a series of stories from when I was growing up that involved my Kentucky aunts and my mother from Kentucky and the neighborhood I grew up in and I'm doing some stories of those but it's interwoven with another narrative so I'm 
I'm working on the stories right now and then just outlining the narrative. How's it going? I find that um, the working title of this is Aunt Mary's Almost True Stories because they're not going to be true stories and most of it's going to be somewhat fictionalized. I'm glad you brought that up because I want to talk about that too. Yeah, and I have, I'm working on the fifth of 15 stories that will be woven into a larger narrative. Uh, but um, it's, the first four stories went well, the fifth one I'm kind of struggling with a little bit. I have two others outlined. Good, it's always a struggle. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Every word is painful. <laughs> Life keeps giving him away. Yeah. yeah. So, so who else is working on it? I'm not working on one, but I wrote something a while back. Talk about memoirs. It was a mem- when my wife and I traveled in a motorhome for 10 years after retiring from teaching in West Ottawa, you know about. And Isabel was our dog. I wrote it through the eyes of Isabel. It was called Isabel's Tale, Memoirs of an RDV Dog. <laughs> oh, oh, that's great. Yeah. That's and, a very good idea. And uh, that way the dog could make fun of me and my wife <laughs> because it wasn't me writing, the dog did it. And, uh, but I was unable to find a publisher that was thrilled about that, so it wound up being printed by uh, a relative who was in the printing, was in the printing business. And so I have it, uh, nothing more than a paperback copy of what I wrote. But Well, good for know, you. Yeah, that's great. I don't know what to do with the thing. Uh, apparently writing it uh, from the eyes of a, of a dog who, who traveled in a motorhome, but somehow when I submitted my uh, query letter to publishers in Manhattan, I think they all have the idea that an RV is some kind of a trailer park or something, and they don't know what the devil it is, and so they, uh, my one of my, my winners was when I got a rejection letter. Uh, yeah, those are always great. Well, maybe, maybe your dog got some mail you didn't know about. <laughs> she would have told me. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, who, anyone else? Who else is doing a memoir? Yes. Yeah, I've been writing on my, you know, it's well, it's written already. It's like a journal. Yes. And then I was in New York City for 10 years, struggling writer, actor. And it's all written, but the thing is, I don't have, I'm too lazy to type it all in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, but it's just, uh, but as I said, I am sending stuff, but no, I haven't got anything back. Yeah. You know, just, uh, it's more like a diary. I would call it New York Diary or something like that. That's uh, kind of like a tentative title, but I'm not sure on it. You know, it's very difficult getting things published right now. The publishing industry is not doing well compared to how it was. I always wish that I had put my books out 20 years ago. I mean, because things were, were a lot different. You never e- know what they want to pick up. That's the thing. No, no, I had trouble selling my new book. In fact, I ended up, I didn't use my agent ultimately. I sold it to University of Michigan Press on my own. So commercial publishers weren't very interested in it. But it's a good match for U of M Press because it's about Michigan. It's about birding in Michigan. And so, you know, sometimes you just got to, you know, try different things. Well, I'm writing, well, first of all, I, when you mentioned the whole thing about uh, where she's writing on a farm and then she's time spent in the service, I, I remember what you just said, save it for another book. And I was just like thinking that that would be good for her to save her uh, time in the service maybe for another yeah, that's a very good idea. That's a very, I mean, I don't see anything wrong with taking snippets of it and where it'll add some depth to her character in the book, 
fine put that in but as long as you can justify it with the material if you can use it to add dimension to the material you're putting in there yes absolutely and the other thing is um, I'm working on a book that I've been working for about two years on but um, it's about my well it's about me in a way but it's also about my grandmother she was in a concentration camp um, in World War II and um, her experiences are very profound and uh, it's actually been very hard to write it um, I'm titling it In a World Without Barbed Wire A Granddaughter's Reflections and uh I've written bits and pieces of the chapters, I've outlined it, but um, it's extremely difficult to write because memories come up, I get nightmares if I watch too many things because I have to fill in as you know, like uh, she just mentioned about uh, facts and having to fill in things with, you know, what you think happened. Like, so it's going to be historical fiction because of that. That's a good way to go probably yeah. with this. And maybe you can distance yourself a little bit from it in that way, and it'll be a little, little less painful. Marcia, did you want to say anything about the memoir you're working on? Um, mine's on loss and grief, and um, it's kind of similar issues with um, getting stuck because of where, where the um, emotional part creates blocks, yeah. and also not being able to create dialogue or um, tell a story because I don't have the memory for it, and I have documentation. So there was a memoirist, Anne Marie... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I went to a workshop with her, and she talked about using the convention of saying, I imagine my mother saying. So you put together the character, the people in your story as characters, who you know things about, but you don't know exactly what they said at the time. And that's a way to kind of bridge that gap, because mine is creative nonfiction, and I'm trying to tell it as truthfully as I can, but most things that happen, I don't have the memory for because I was young. So I'm, I'm building it based on letters and different things and what I know about the people in my life and what other people said about them. So I, I'm using that kind of convention I imagine my mother saying or something like that. And I'm also doing kind of a shift between present and past and present. So I'm starting with a two-year-old voice. So you'll know in the beginning that I'm two and know, everyone knows that it's hard to remember what happened when you were two. So it's kind of, you just have to kind of buy into it that this is the way I'm imagining that that things happen in my life, but kind of being straightforward about it. That's the best kind of nation, imagination. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a good point, because I wanted to talk about how much has to be true in a memoir. I think you could probably say something about that. Oh, probably not. <laughs> no, I, I, it is hard to remember stuff, and you do, and I think that, especially dialogue, and, and you have to sort of enhance things or adjust things to fit the arc of the story. Otherwise, things are just sort of popping all over the place. And so I, I think that's, can you believe a memoir? I mean, can you believe even an autobiography? Because I'm sure there's still, you know, people especially writing about themselves are probably going to want to make themselves look better than they are. <laughs> I, I would anyway. But uh, I think it's inevitable that things aren't necessarily true, but they are true in spirit or they're true in effect or something like that. Yeah, I have lots of scenes in my books with Bill 
and there's dialogue. They're all lies. <laughs> Except the ones that make you look good. Well, that's well, I, when, when was that? I but but I, I think one thing that's really important in a memoir, and probably in fiction too, is to have a lot of dialogue because it not only kind of breaks up you know, the long prose, but I think it really brings a kind of immediacy to what you're writing that it just kind of really pulls you into an exact present time moment. And so when I write about things with Bill, I can't remember what we said when we were at Muskegon Wastewater System bird watching and we saw the red-necked phalarope swimming with the black belly. Well, I remember plover. that word for word. <laughs> so it was like, boy, it stinks here. Yeah. <laughs> But what, what we would do is, and I would kind of collaborate with Bill on the parts with him in it, in that I would kind of write about what, I would kind of reconstruct dialogue that would have made sense in that setting and try and think in Bill's voice. And then I would give it to Bill and then Bill would correct me. <laughs> <laughs> I try to make myself look even worse. Yeah, yeah. And so is it exactly true? No. But is it true in the sense that it conveys the spirit of what happened and you know represents the moment that kind of pushes the narrative forward well i mean you've even sort of combined a couple of people right into one so that it you know it's it's still a truth but it's not necessarily it's a, it's a lie yeah but. yeah i have kind of a villain in foul weather and i didn't want to get sued by, yeah, that's the key. by what I wrote about this person. So I heavily disguised this person and kind of combined a couple of people I knew. The sense of what happened was true, but was it exactly 100% precisely true? No. But I think it's still truthy. Truthiness. Loosely yeah. factual. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, or uh, I remember someone once asked David Sedaris if his books were true, and he mm -hmm. said they're true enough. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I don't know. So, you really want to keep a tight focus on your material. That's what agents and publishers are looking for. They want to, again, like I say, they want to see the story really develop and, you know, kind of uh, reach a point of conflict, you know, just like any narrative would go in a novel and then, you know, reach a, a resolution. So, you want to kind of keep that in mind all along as you are writing and like we were talking about a minute ago, don't wander off on too many other topics and unless you can bring those in to the, the story. Anchor everything with specific scenes. I've had people send me books they were working on uh, and I can't tell when anything time is taking place because somebody sent me something about picking up a puppy and it seemed to be in her apartment one minute and the next thing I knew she was in the airport picking up the dog then the next thing I knew, no, she was actually in her apartment. So was she thinking back at what happened at the airport? And, and I got very confused. And I think one reason is a lot of times when any of us write, we kind of assume people, our reader or anybody, we kind of assume people know what we know. And you can't make any assumptions. You really, you need to explain everything. You know, you need to, I'm very simplistic about it. I will always anchor a scene in one place. Here's where this is going on. I will use that scene to present information I want to put 
to get the story across, and then the scene will shift, and then I'll be out in the duck pen and uh, doing something, and something will take place, and then uh, just keep moving ahead in scenes. And that way I think it's more interesting for people. They know where they are all the time, and also it advances your story. So that's the end of part one of my talk with book character Bill Holm on memoir writing. And even though we don't talk a lot specifically about pets in our talk, I'm hoping that there's still a lot of good information for you on putting a pet memoir together because all of my books, at least my first three books, have all been pet memoirs. My uh, book number four is going to be about how well, it's another kind of memoir and it involves animals. It's about my fumbling attempts to become a birder and find a wild bird on my own that's feather-brained and so that also pretty much fits the model of what I'm talking about right here. I would like to thank book character Bill Holm for accompanying me and adding to the talk and please listen to part two and it goes into more depth and uh, I think you will find some more tips. Thanks to the Mid-Michigan Word Gatherers Writing Group Karen Bota is the head of that, and she invited book character Bill Holm and me to do this presentation at a workshop in Ionia, Michigan. Thanks very much to my producer, Mark Winter. You can email me at bob at petliferadio.com, and please check out my website, bobtart.com, and by all means, buy my books. Thanks. Thinking about buying a monkey? How about a ferret or a skunk? Then check out the show that will answer the burning questions, where do you get them? What do you feed them? How do you take care of them? And most of all, what were you thinking? With exotic pet expert and author Bob Tart, every week on demand from PetLifeRadio.com.